On this episode of My Take Radio, Behind the Mic, we sit down with stand-up comedian Hugh Murray, and we discuss, of course, stand-up comedy, blogging, relationships, and a host of other stuff. Plus, of course, we have a few laughs as well. My Take Radio, Behind the Mic, with Hugh Murray, starts right now. This is My Take Radio's Behind the Mic. Welcome to a brand new installment of My Take Radio's Behind the Mic interview series. Uh, This week it's a little bit of a departure from our usual vloggers and podcasters. We're actually speaking to comedian, writer, philanthropist, gentleman, and liar. Wow, I fucking fucked that up. Uh, (laughs) The one and only Hugh Daniel Murray IV. I'm just going to call him Hugh Murray just to not put him on the spot by putting his government name out there. Hugh, what's going on, brother? Thanks for taking the time out of your schedule to uh, come on board and talk with us. Not much, man. I, I, I love being on the on podcast scene. Uh, thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Well, for those of you that aren't familiar with Hugh's work, Hugh is a, is a guy, a Long Island guy, local New Yorker. Um, I've been friends with him on social media for, for a couple of years now. We were talking about that before we started recording about just how I can't even pinpoint exactly how we connected. And, you know, I really felt that i you know i wanted to get him on just because he has that same vibe that same uh caustic and abrasive style of humor that i just personally like using on air so it was a natural fit that we would get him on i'm personally bummed that it took me this long to set it up but i'm glad to have him on board so i figured let's start with the most obvious the most blatantly bullshit question um what got you into comedy uh i i actually love this question because <laughs> so, so, so many people when I ask them, like, you know, like, how'd you get into it? They're always like, well, you know, I was voted class clown and, and all my friends told me how funny I am. Like, dude, it's the complete opposite with me. Like, no one t- thought I was funny. Like, no one. Holy like, shit, really? Yeah, like, my friends, like, they're like, are you really going to do this? Like, I'm probably the least funniest of all my friends. And I, I don't know, like, they, they finally came and saw me on stand up and they're just like, dude, like, you're a natural at this. Like when you're out with us, you're a dick and no one thinks you're funny. And it, it's, I just like always love stand up comedy. You know, it's just, uh, it's always like I studied it, man. You know, I, I, I grew up, uh, like two blocks away from governor's comedy club. Right. So it was, it was always like, you know, I was always going to see the, you know, great people. You know, I, I can remember seeing Louis CK like eight years ago, you know, and it, I could walk there and, like, I always used to just break it down, and I started learning how to write a joke. And I, I never took a comedy class or anything, but I just grinded it out, and it was just always something that I loved, you know? Well, here's the funny thing about that is that when you're amongst your peers, and, and it's funny because I'm going to see if you have the same problem, when you're trying to be just sarcastic or, or just an asshole, naturally, people find it funny. Like they always think you're constantly joking, even when you're being completely serious. Yeah. Do you run into that a lot? Was that kind of like a catalyst for you when you started doing comedy? Just like just being yourself and being dry or or caustic. Everybody was just like, oh, 
that guy's pretty funny. And you're like, I'm really not joking. Yeah. (laughs) And it actually became like a a card that I was able to pull. Like when I crossed that line with people and like they would get mad at me, my friends would actually like come over and save me and be like, ah, he's just a comic. He's joking. You know, it started becoming like a, like the ace of spades I could throw on the table, like it, it with to avoid a fist fight or have some girl freak out on me. It was like, yeah, no, I'm just a comedian. I'm just playing around. But a lot of times people would like, I'd be like a hundred percent serious. They start laughing and I'm yep. just like, I'm not even gonna, not <laughs> even gonna push the issue. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care that much. Well, you, you mentioning that you grew up around, governor's comedy club i want to kind of talk about that the long island comedy scene is extremely underrated i feel i mean a lot more comedians are performing out in governors a lot of guys are doing more stuff on the island i mean as a huge wrestling fan you know mick foley a a long island guy through and through i always hear of him doing sets at governors just give us a little bit about the how the long island comedy scene is versus say you know, the city, the, you know, the Manhattan comedy scene that's all, you know, trying to get tourists and the guy outside handing you a fucking flyer. Yeah, it's a big difference. Uh, one thing that I, that you really notice, um, the city is more alternative. You know, I would say the city is more like like a, a Eugene Merman or Patton Oswalt where you're going to get like almost that hipster brand of comedy. Right. You know, on Long Island, you get a lot of guys wearing suits you know, it's very, I don't want to say classier, cause it, but like, the, you know, a lot of the top comedy clubs in the city are almost like grungy, you know, right. like you, you, you go to Long Island, you're getting a very classy atmosphere. Um, you know, a lot of people start in, the, in Long Island and then they make the transition to the city. Uh, you really can't do it the other way around. You know, if you, you really can't start in the city, get that New York City sense of humor and then come to Long Island because you will bomb. Um, I, I feel like if you play Long Island, especially Suffolk County, you could play anywhere because you know, it's a different animal out there. But, uh, you know, you get some great comics like, um, I don't know, if do you know Joey Cola? Yeah, I've heard Joey Cola I think once or twice. I think he's done a spot on O&A. Yes, uh, Joey Cola. Joey Cola is Long Island comedy, you know, 30-year veteran. You know, you could catch him at one of the clubs. Like He's a warm-up comic, I think, for Rachel Ray right now. Don't quote me on it, but he, he's, uh, he's a phenomenal guy. You know, he's uh, hilarious. They, you know, you get guys like Chris Monty, and uh, then, like, th- that's, like, in the governor's circuit. And then you get guys that are really grinding it out, like George Gallo and Terry McNeely. They, they run their own, sh- like, circuit of shows in, in, like, the bar scene. So you get like different comedy atmospheres with different places, you know, like George and Terry, a very abrasive style comedy. And and they, they do so well in the bar scene that they don't even need to perform the clubs, you know. Well, let's let's go a little bit into material. I mean, material on the island versus material in the city clubs. How do you tailor that? Because, you know, I, I was I saw one of your sets and we'll get into it a little later on on YouTube. And I saw that during that set, there was a lot of. Not side commentary, but the audience was kind of more interactive versus when you go see comedy in the city, you see more of, you know, shut the fuck up. I'm going to do my set in five minutes and that's it. Do you do you appreciate more the interactions with the audience from a from a stand up standpoint on the island or do you like, hey, I want to come in. I want you guys to appreciate my set and laugh, but don't disrupt it with side commentary. Uh, I'm I'm not one to really get upset 
with hecklers. Um, you know, like some people like will it would really disrupt the flow. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to blow my own horn, but you know, I, I do well with a heckler, you know, like we were just talking about Colin Kane, you know, he, he does, he's gets phenomenal crowd work. You get guys like him and Godfrey that, you know, like their crowd work is impeccable, you know, in Long Island, um, you know, like I said, the atmosphere, you know, the club's managers will, will pull a heckler aside and be like, listen, if you don't. If you don't shut up, we're going to kick you out of here. Um, the city, the city, like you were saying, there's there's a lot more tourists. Right. You know, you could be performing at Broadway Comedy Club, and you get uh, a bus full of Asian people that don't even speak English. Right. So it's it's really hard to like gauge laughter in the city because sometimes it's it's not you. You know, it, it you really are playing to an audience that might not understand what you're saying. And in uh, and, and Long Island, you know, the joke material, uh, it's more family orientated. They, they kind of ask you to be cleaner, right. uh, you know, like not like squeaky clean. But, you know, like there's you know, they don't want you just going up there saying a bunch of dick and pussy jokes. And, you know, because a lot of Long Island comedy is uh, fundraisers. Right. And, and uh, that's actually how the circuit goes. You start at the open mic and then you get passed to do spots on fundraisers. So you're doing a lot of soccer moms and benefits and, and they don't want that that dirty, grungy style of comedy. You know, like you could you could get a little black, but you don't want to get blue. Right. If you know the difference, like blue would be more like, you know, curse words and right. and silly poop jokes, while black is like a darker Louis C.K. style of comedy, you know? Right. They don't want they want good laughs, but not self-hatred or, you know, I woke up this morning, put a bag over my head and I waited five minutes before I popped a hole in it type. comedy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I definitely I can understand that. The, the funny thing is with with that and talking about that, do you feel and I know it. it I think it was a month or two ago you went on tour also you did a couple of states. Yes. yes. So how do, how do you transition from that from doing like the local comedy like I I can imagine you know you do a set here on the uh, you know here on the island versus in the boroughs and on the island you could joke about the towns and you know getting shot in wine dance versus <laughs> you, you know joking about in the city and and Bloomberg looking like a turtle versus you know going around going around the country how does that how does that transition work for you creatively? Do you have just different sets of material or do you just sometimes you just wing it and just reapply it a little differently? Um, well, my set has really been geared towards talking about my life and painting a picture about what I'm doing as a person and what I'm into and, you know, what I've been through. So it kind of works everywhere, but... I've noticed that um, when you go out of state and you go to a place and like, you know, you get, you usually get introduced like, Hey, these guys are all the way from New York. And you know, like if you pick up on some, uh, some little things about their town and area, the crowd really starts to respect you as a comic. Cause they know you just wrote that, you know, within, you know, 24 hours, you know, like say you get there on a Friday, you're doing a weekend, you know, and you notice like, I know in uh, Bristol, Pennsylvania, there's this hairpin turn right before a cemetery that's a block away from the comedy club. Oh, shit. So, so George Gallo, he does a great joke about how that there's uh, 
like grave diggers on coal that just wait for drunk drivers to get into the car <laughs> accident and they just pour the dirt right over the car. <laughs> and, well played. And it, yeah, it, it's really good because all the locals are like, wow, like, you know, he, he notices things about our town. You know, he's not just doing jokes about the subway in New York. Because if you go, you know, uh, I went with George and Terry. Uh, we went to Ohio, Indiana, and then we did five shows in Milwaukee. So we can't be doing jokes about the subway or the LIRR or, you know, what's, what's, uh, how much traffic's on the LIE. These people don't know what the hell that is. Right. You know, I, I do a joke about Billy Joel crashing through people's houses. That didn't make the news in Milwaukee. Nope. You know, so it's like you, you, you kind of got to – you know, you can't get too stuck on the on the local humor. But uh, what I've really geared my set towards is, you know, my life experiences. And if you, you know, you're kind of painting a picture with your words. And if if you do it well enough, people are going to understand what you're about as a person, no matter where you go. Well, do you feel that that personal personal connection humor with you know is 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 better to bridge the gap versus? the the staple stuff i mean you're you're citing you know your experiences i mean louis ck does that i mean to a degree and i'm i'm no comic i always make sure to throw a lot of real life stuff into into the show because it, it helps people connect with you on a different level and i do you think that personal connection comedy is more intimate versus just i'm gonna pl- i'm gonna pluck five stories out of the paper and and ra- and ran on that um yeah you know what i think comedy took that turn with Louis C.K. I think in the 80s, everybody was about that observational, uh, we all do this type thing. Right. And then recently, in like the last 10 years, maybe, it, it really morphed into, we all do this, but what are my feelings behind that? Right. You know, and, and, and what, are, what am I doing as a person? And, you know, it, it became very individual, like... Um, and, and yeah, and you're kind of making that connection on a on a deeper level rather than like you know Jerry Seinfeld like what's the deal with singing in the shower you know like it it like in the eighties that was great and you know everybody loved it but now it's like you ever sing in the shower and then feel like a jerk off because your neighbor hears you right and and it goes <laughs> into that like shameful feeling about it you know and I, I really think it it like took a like a darker turn and and people are. Are, are liking that, you know, like I, I think people are going out to see like, you know, Pat Oswalt and Louis CK and, and Kevin Hart who, who are kind of like sharing about like their feelings towards situations rather than just the situation themselves. Well, I want to, I want to go into something that has been a, a, an alarming trend as of, as of late for, first off, you know, you talked about Jerry Seinfeld. I, I love comedy. I love stand up. If there's one guy I can't fucking stand, it's Jerry Seinfeld. Why? I don't know. I think maybe it's just because I couldn't get into the show or it was just, why is the weather like, I'm like, oh, shut the fuck up. You know, I, I, I didn't feel that connection. Maybe that's it. But yeah, you do a good Seinfeld. Yeah, it's it's OK. It's just, you know what it is from hearing everywhere I went, especially being, you know, an 80s and 90s baby, you know, you wait, you wait in a doctor's office, it's Seinfeld reruns and, you know, the stupid jingle in the background and he comes in. I'm just like, oh, my God, I just I couldn't get into it. I I like exactly that, you know, the personal connection humor. I like the that particular facet because I feel that 
you you get to a, a better insight into the comic. You connect with them more, and it's not just oh these guys sit in the, in a room all day and write jokes. It's like hey, you know this guy he he hates his nine to five job, or you know he hates that he has to do this and this and this, or he hated that he have to do that, and it helps you just cope better by finding people that share the same trials and tribulations. I guess. Yeah, and I I think you're like a lot of people that that dislike Seinfeld. I. I kind of respect what he does because, yeah, he's a fucking billionaire and he's really trying to reinvent himself. And I think him and Dane Cook, they're kind of having the same struggle where uh, I think it was overexposure. Mm-hmm. Absol- that, absolutely. That people like, yeah, and I, I think Daniel Tosh is at, and this is my personal feeling, I think he's going to have that same issue yep. is, that, is that people are getting too much of them. And, um, you know who who knows maybe Kevin Hart will burn out like that but you know when you're when you're in everything and you're everywhere people are just like ugh enough you know and i actually start seeing people are turning on Louis CK and uh you know i think he's brilliant he's you know he's probably my favorite comic of all time and and like i i i think it's the overexposure and but i i also liked what you said how you relate to the comic more because to me it's actually easier to write jokes like that right like like it, for me i it's easier to come up with material about who i am as a person and what i've been through because number 1 it's going to be exclusive to my act so if someone rips off some, one of my jokes or you know like like whatever you know i could come up with more because it's all stemming from my brain it's not just like I'm go you know reading the New York Post and making a bunch of headlines yep. you know like I I don't I I think that's actually harder to sit down and write about current events than it is to be like oh well this happened when I was 12 I, that's pretty funny let me talk about it and you know like say that bit you know goes stale or I get it on TV or you know whatever it's like I could come up with more of that material because it's all stemming from personal experience I I don't know I just find that easier to write like that yeah i feel i feel that and and this is something that's been happening it's it's a trend i've noticed the last couple of years that comedy's gone in, in a very weird cycle because people want to be shocked and awed but you can't shock and awe them too much because then when you're too brutally honest people get offended which is you know it, it leads me to my next question do you feel that comedy has become more abrasive but people have become more sensitive at the same time i I always struggle with this because, you know, you, you get into that George Carlin school of thought right. where it's like, you know, you got to find the line and purposely cross it. Absolutely. You know? But, you know, then you then I also don't want to be offensive to just be offensive. Like I that that's I, I don't know. I think any hack could do that. Yep. You know, you know, I, I like to try to deliver something in. I like to think that the comedian is like the modern day philosopher and i don't know if that's self-serving but like you, you know you're basically getting paid to talk not many other professions can do that and you get to like tell people your views on something like you don't just have to go up there and you know like back in the you know back in the day with ronnie dangerfield and don rickles like they were like jokey joke comedians you know right. And and like now, like I feel like people want to hear your opinions and your issues, and and you know I I think people like 
you know, you see it with like George Carlin where, you know, he, he got very political towards the end of his career, you know, because I think you start to realize like, listen, I got a, 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 an hour up here with a microphone and a captive audience and I could say whatever I want. What can I do to help this world? You know, it becomes like a big thing. I, I personally feel I'm not on that level where I'm trying to change the world. But when you're as popular as like George Carlin, it's like, you know, I, I could actually use my voice to do something and try to change what I think is shitty. Oh, I think I think that's a that's a great way to look at it. I mean, I, I you know, grow, growing up, you know, I used to watch um, comic relief on HBO and and things like that. And as, as I got older, I really started just gravitating more towards, you know, guys like Carlin, guys like um, Louis C.K., Louis Black, which is one of my favorites, because I see that even though these guys can come out here and they have this captive audience even in their comedy there's still a message and i think the best messages are the ones that you don't even know you're getting till after the fact yes and i'm total agreement with you on that man you know you you come in you watch a set you laugh whatever and then later on you're laughing about it and you're like wow that's true i mean you know my my wife is she laughs because we um we were talking about like soy milk and i said it should be called soy juice and, um, you know, that was a, a Lewis Black bit and it, it, it wasn't intentional in the least, but it was that sort of an observation that I'm like, you know what? He's fucking right. Yeah. You know, you know there's, 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 there's no nipple on a soybean. You know? You're not milking, <laughs> you're not milking a soybean. And, and it's funny because as, as, you know, sophomore, you know, as sophomore as that is, it's like, it's true. And I think that comedy now needs to be more of that you need to be not only entertained but engaged yeah and and i think you know you get like those are the best bits is are the ones that stick with you for a long long time you know and like i saw um uh what is it uprox or up up rocks i don't even right. know how to up say rocks. their name up rocks and they posted uh i, I re reshared it on facebook with seven bill burr bits yep where he gets progressively angry, yep. but it, you know, like I think some of those bits are just pure gold because he has such a message behind it. You That's know, right. like like that how women fight and and you know the toughest job in the world, like where he's talking about how Oprah says the hardest job in the world is a, is a is a mom, right? And he's like, how would you know? You don't even have kids, exactly. It's you hard know? to empathize. It's like, lady, you don't got a you don't got a single kid. No kid has ever has ever tumbled out of your out of your womb. So, for you yeah. to say that, it, it's it's just you want to. That's a catering thing at this point. Yeah, and you know he starts getting into like no no stay at home mom has ever gotten the black lung, and you know he starts and and like it's like that bit is like always stuck with me and and it's like you know like Louis C K is like where his I, I love it I, I think it's the most brilliantly bit uh, written bit is the um, sometimes uh, or no what is it of course and maybe that he did on the oh my god special, I think I remember that was that the right. one where he was talking about his daughters. No, it was about, like, the peanut allergies. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember and, a little bit of that. You know, it's like, uh, of course we got to cater to people with peanut allergies, but maybe if we just closed our eyes for a couple of years, all the kids with peanut allergies would be gone and it's not an <laughs> issue anymore. You know, and, and it's like he does this, of course, of course we have to do it this way. Right. But maybe if we did it this way, and, you know, it, it, it has, like, a message behind it, and it's funny, and it's kind of wrong, 
But, you know, when you think about it, in the end, he's, he's, he's right, you know? Well, it's, it's funny because Rogan, Rogan did something similar to where He was talking about what would happen if all the smart people died. And he's like, we'd all be living in caves and come yeah. out and, and spear everybody. It was, it was exactly that because you don't really, and this is, you know, one of the gifts of stand-up, and, you know, I, I commend you for having it because it's like you don't, you don't observe that stuff being a regular person. Like I always say, you got to have a, a, a special set of skills to do stand-up. Stand-up's not for everybody just because, and it was funny you said that, just because, you know, you're funny with your boys doesn't mean you should go get on stage. You're just yeah. funny with, uh, in your circle of friends. Like, you know, I, I don't consider myself funny. I consider myself, you know, I, I always tell people on air, I'm like, I'm a piece of shit, you know, but I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm human garbage, but I always say it in a way that it's funny, but not funny enough for me to say, I'm going to go stand in front of a mic in front of a room full of a thousand people and air yeah, my could, laundry. That takes well, some brass balls, man. Well, first of all, most comics see things a little differently. Mm-hmm. You know, like they'll they'll find the funny in, you know, something that's boring yep. or messed up that where, you know, like we're, we're usually the type of people that are laughing at a funeral, you yep. know, and, and uh, I, I that that's one way to, to look at it. And then there's, you know, there's a there's tons of funny people. I like I said, I, and when I'm out with my friends, I'm the least funniest person. Right. But. Every other one of my friends wouldn't be able to translate their type of funny to the stage. Right. You know, whether like because there's a lot of stuff that happens to me in my daily life where I'm just like, how can I get an audience to find that funny? You know, like you can't sit there and tell them a five minute story. You know, like it's like when you're like taught like if you have something funny happen to you with one group of friends and then you go hang out with your girlfriend's group of friends and you try to tell them that story nope. and you end with, you should have been there. Yep. It, that wouldn't translate well to the stage. You know, you gotta, you gotta paint that picture for the audience. Like they are there. Well, when you talk about that with your friends, it, it boils down to like the guy, like, like the guy that's a martial artist and he's out with his friends and a fight breaks out and he doesn't want to get involved because he knows he'd probably kill everyone. Do you feel do you feel the same way from a comedic standpoint? Like you're out with with, with the boys and they're all joking around, and you're like, I can't do it because I'm just gonna drop hot lava on everybody. Do you do you feel sometimes you gotta you gotta you gotta tone it down for your own just to just to stay on the level with everybody else? Does that happen? <laughs> I I love that analogy. Uh, sometimes sometimes I, I when I get out, I like to set up for the next joke. Like sometimes like I'm. I'm so far ahead of people where it's just like I'll set one of my other friends up for the funnier line rather than, you know, (laughs) take the easy swing myself. Right. You know, because I don't know. Then people are just like, oh, he's a comedian. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, just showing off. You know, it's like, yeah, I could just go out in in a room and choke people out, you know, but it's like, you know, I'd rather let you guys have your moment because I'm going to do it in front of 300 people on Friday. Right. And that's, and the funny thing is it's almost like in a way, those instances for you and you know, I could be wrong. They're warm up. You know, it's like you're, you're taking practice swings by just being out interacting with the world because inspiration comes from the unlikeliest of places. Like you, you know, you were talking about just something that you find mundane in day in the day to day life. Like, you know, I, I told a story about, you know, I, I shoved a kid into a pile of toilet paper in Target <laughs> and um, everybody thought it was it was fucking amazing. And I just 
I it 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 happened because of frustration. But everybody found it to be utterly hilarious. Here I'm waiting for for when I said it on air, like just talking with the the listeners. I was like, oh man, everybody's gonna say I'm a piece of shit. And then I'm like, yeah, kids running around the store, running around the store, running around the store, knocked into me. I shoved them into a big pile of of bounty toilet paper in the corner, and it all fell on him. And the end cap and target in uh in Westbury, <laughs> just he's like, mom, and I just I just ran out of the store. But you know, it, that's the kind of stuff like. Like to 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 you, you see, you laugh at that because that's observational. To me, I'm like it's just every day. But to everybody else, it's like, oh my god, it's it's insanity. Yeah, you know, and and, and you get those moments, and it's like you know, sometimes I don't know. Like I I could I heard there's two ways to write a joke. You know, like you could sit there in your house and you could start thinking about stuff, and you know, some comics really excel at that. Just you know, going to Starbucks with their laptop and they, and they just write. You know, personally, I'm more uh, where it's like I have to go out. I have to experience life and get into some situations that might be funny later. Or, you know, I'm with my boys and something funny happens. And, you know, like I I like to set my friends up where they could have the big joke because I know I can steal it and use it in front of a crowd. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to profit off the joke. So it's like, you know, I could use you know i i like to experience life and that's and that's where my material comes from well i wanted to ask about the your your creative process most guys i mean i heard carlin did post-its on the wall i've heard different things what's how, how did your process differ i mean do you just does it all go in your head or do you have to stop and keep a notebook and write down little things like how you know walk us through a, a bit of your process i mean without giving away too much obviously but um, well, you, you know, it's, it's, it's not really like a secret, you know, okay. like if, if something, if something happens to me, you know, I'll write a quick note in my phone, uh, you know, and then I'll revisit it later when I have some more time. Cause you know, I, I like to be in the moment. I don't like to, you know, keep my face in my phone while I'm hanging out with everybody. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I walk around with a, a voice recorder, you know, I always keep a pen on me because, like, I'm, I'm a traditional writer where I like to write things on pen and paper. Right. And, and uh, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, you write like key words, like say, like you hear something funny. You know, like, um, what was I talking about? Oh, I, I got a note in my phone because I was I was talking to my friend the other day, and we were talking about sound effects, and I had this ex girlfriend, and we were talking about uh, rim shots and how much. <laughs> Most people say, like, you know, when you're doing a sound effect for a rim shot, you go ba-dump, right. or, or like a ba-dump bump. Right. I've heard it, like, both ways. My ex-girlfriend used to go, <laughs> and like it was gunfire. Like, yeah, and it was, like, you know, completely wrong. And right. it's like, that, like, you know, I wrote it in my, in my phone, like, I just wrote, like, ex-girlfriend sound effects, and it's like, I, I could think about that later, and then maybe you know, try to turn it into a bit or see where it fits in my present act. But a lot of times I just write things down. I have a giant notebook with like just different little punchlines or keywords because I don't like to throw things out because uh, a comedian told me, I forgot who, when I was first starting and they said, never throw anything out because it it's probably funny. You just might not be a good enough comedian to tell it yet. <laughs> Well played. Yeah, and it it was kind of like a dick comment at first, but it was also really good advice because it's like sometimes, you know, like 
you're you know you you write a piece of gold and you just don't have like the whole setup and the premise behind it and it's like you know you you just keep it in the notebook and then you write the other part and then it's like oh shit i could mix this with this and then you know you, you're drafting it all out and now you got a five minute bit well now you know i want i want to switch gears a little bit and talk about you know you being a writer you have your your blog hugh daniel murray iv.com or hugh daniel murray the fourth.com yeah. and um you've been doing a lot of a lot of great content on there and the the thing with this is do you feel that the blog writing is more therapeutic because do you feel sometimes it's it's sensory overload just having so much material you figure let me let me distribute and throw some on paper or do you just figure that writing keeps you sharper uh it's a little of both i like to um i like to blog i i was oh you i think you cut off hold on a second but um I, I was blo- doing sports blogging for about a year before I started stand-up. So right. I was actually a writer first. And uh, I used blogging as an outlet to kind of let the creative process flow. Like, all right, I'm just going to sit down and write about a topic and see what comes out of me. And, uh, you know, I, I, it was sports blogging for, I would say, about two, three years and then I, you know, I, I just ended up getting so busy with my, uh, my old day job and, and, uh, the standup that I kind of let it go. And then I was kind of looking like, you know, there's sport, there's tons of sports blogs and movie blogs and gadget blogs. And I was trying to think like, what do I, what do I, I, I don't really read. Like, what is my sense of humor? Like, where can I add this to like a blogging field? And I found relationships, you know, like I, I like to write about male, female dynamics now. And, um, you know, like, because you, it is a saturated market, but I feel like people don't have that, you know, like we were talking like Vince Mancini of film drunk or Matt Offord, you know, like with the sports blogging, like, I feel like I got a similar sense of humor to them and you don't really have that, type of writer in the like the relationship area you know you just get like the elite daily or like buzzfeed and that hacky like which 90s character are you type writing and i'm just like all right you know maybe there's a market for this and and the blog actually started doing well nice Uh, one one thing with that 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 that's funny um you've when you touch on the subject of relationships it's funny because you always bring a portion of your your personal experience to it which again allows for that personal connection did you feel uh did you feel comfortable i mean you do it already on stage just opening up in terms of just on on a pretty much on a traceable medium because you know you could do stand up somebody hears your set and that's it and people can always tell your story but then it becomes like a game of telephone and it changes versus putting your thoughts to to page and then you know there's stuff there that you can trace it back you know years years later yeah, I I was definitely nervous about that because like, you know, I'm talking about specific people right. and then I'm posting it to Facebook and those specific people are still my Facebook friends. Mm. So that and then like, you know, if all of a sudden I had tons of girls, I I wrote this blog like as advice for men in relationships. Right. And, and it turned it actually morphed more into I had such a female readership on the blog because I guess guys just aren't interested in reading about relationships. And uh, 
I think most of them were like looking to see if I mentioned them. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> and, pretty funny. And and like I had to like kind of be careful. And you know, I did have some conversations where they're like, "Why are you talking about me in this blog?" And it's like I didn't mention your name. Right. Like no one knows that I'm talking about you except for you. You know, like you can't get mad at that. Like I'm just sharing my feelings on this topic because maybe you didn't want to hear them in the past or, you know, you didn't let me get a word in when we actually did talk. So like I've had those conversations and it's it, it gets a you know. I was nervous about it, but it ended up working out, you know, and I think uh, I've been doing it so long now that people kind of just let me have it. Well, you know, one of your, one, one of your posts that, that really got me wanting to discuss this was the one you wrote in, I think it was in January, Nice Guys Don't Finish. It, it jumped out, obviously, because sarcastic Gene Wilder uh, being being the picture was, was, a, was a get for, for that post, but... It's funny because I always I read that post and I said, you know what? It's real interesting because I know a lot of guys that they'll always be like, oh, man, you know, I'm trying to talk to this chick. She always likes scumbags and whatever. And I and my my answer to those guys that I'm friends with is always, well, then you need to become a scumbag. Step your game up. Yeah. <laughs> and then you need to be that guy. So it's funny because when I saw that, it was a really great way to do to do like relationship advice without making it. Uh, you know, a bro column, you know, because yeah. sometimes a lot of these guys, they do they do the relationship thing. They do the health thing or whatever. And they try to do like when they, like when they talk about bodybuilding and stuff and weightlifting, I always talk about bro science where, you know, it's always oh this. You got to do this, this and this. You don't you don't go on your blog telling people I'm an expert in this shit. I'm just telling you, hey, real world applications of stuff that may happen to everybody else. Yeah. And, and you know, that's exactly what I'm trying to get through. It's like, you know, you get people on these blogs telling you they're a, they're a sex expert or, you know, they, they study this at college or they're a professor. And it's like I'm just writing about personal experience and, you know, and, and what I've dealt with and what I see out there. And, and, you know, like the whole point of the post was like, you know, you don't have to become a scumbag. You, yep. you know, you just got to You got to step up your game is because they're not looking for girls aren't looking for a scumbag. Nope. And if it, like how many times have you heard a girl say, yeah, I want a guy that treats me like shit. I want him to cheat on me mm. a lot. Well, you know, <laughs> I have an answer for that. I worked I worked with a girl, um, obviously name redacted. Yeah. <laughs> and she said that she likes dating guys with something wrong with them. She specifically said that she cited that. And it was funny because she goes, yeah, you know, I, I like dating guys with something wrong with them. And I go, all right, well, what do you bring to the table? I'm like, you know, but I'm like, you know, I told her you don't know how to cook and um, you can't clean. So you want a guy that has something wrong with him. I'm like, what if that's something wrong with him is you? <laughs> and she was just like, what are you talking about? So, you know, it kind of went into the whole I don't like to cook. She goes, I like to clean, but I don't like to cook. I'm like, why don't you like to cook? And she was like, oh, well, you know, I don't like dealing with the meat. And I said, but your man comes home and you deal with his meat, you know, because <laughs> think about it. We're, we're outside. We're men. We're pieces of shit. You know, we sweat all this stuff. Then you come home and your girl's in the mood. It's like you didn't shower. You didn't do what you got to do. All of a sudden, you're, you're just as gross as what you're talking about. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I just got taken aback by that, especially, you know, when I when I read that article, your your line of if you're nice be nice you know don't change your game or pander and it's funny because 
in that moment when she said that, it validated exactly that. It's like, you know what? Some poor guy that's probably instantly nice to you has zero shot in the world because he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't pander. Yeah. But the guy that has something wrong with him is automatically enamored by the fact that, you know, you might be a, 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 a passable seven and, and you know, that, 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 that's going to be the end all be all. Yeah. And, and he, you know, these guys get stuck on like, well, I'm a nice guy. It's like, yeah, be a nice guy, but. You know, it's like you're also unemployed, you're <laughs> depressed all the time, yep. and you're overweight. Like, it, they're not disliking you because you're a nice guy. It's because you have nothing to bring to the table. Exactly. And that, and it's always a give and take. I mean, you know, my, my wife, I always tell her uh, the running gag I always have is a theory that, and a couple of comedians have touched on it too, where they, where they all say all women secretly hate each other. And, yeah. and I say, and I always say it, and the minute that it's said, and I tell female friends this too and they go yeah that's bullshit that's bullshit and the minute they come and they say oh yeah you know so and so you know a man broke up with her and and she's got to hit him for alimony i said all women secretly hate each other and they get yeah. so mad because they're like what are you talking about like you're putting this chick's business out there i don't know this chick <laughs> you know like yeah. like it's 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 weird because the way that you're approaching relationships is exactly the way that people need to be approached because th- too many people get hit with pillows instead of getting hit with hammers yeah. You got to get hit and, with hammers some days. Yeah, you you need to have that punch in the face sometimes, you know? Like you need like it's like I and I don't know. It's like I just want to scream at some people like why are you doing this? Like why are you, you know, like people get wrapped up in this whole self-loathing and it's like you, you know, people don't realize that the key to relationships is confidence yep. on both sides. Yep. And, and, you know, like your friend you were talking about, she likes guys that are something wrong with them because ultimately she's trying to save someone yep. and, and she's trying to almost like, uh, like make herself, um, you know, like on fire, you know, like when you, 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 you get out of job and you, and you make it so they can't fire you. People well, are trying to, you know, she's trying to do that in a relationship. Like she he did can't that. Get, yeah. He With can't a kid. Get, uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's your the answer. Way. Yeah. That's the worst STD you could get. There you go. Or, 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 um, the, the one that I, that I picked up, I always like to use, uh, fuck trophies. You fuck know? trophy. Yeah. That's it. Play the game for nine months and you get rewarded with a trophy. There it is. Exactly. An so, alimony. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, it, it, the, the approach, the approach is legitimate and, you know, I, I I like that it adds a, another creative outlet to you. I think I think it's a great way that you're meshing uh, your blog with your your off blog content. I think you're doing a great job with that, and that actually is going to bring me into the next thing, which is just um, marketing as as a comedian nowadays. We've 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 come such a long way. You know, stand up comics used to rely on MySpace a lot. Um, how do you feel about just the the social media presence as a comedian? And do you feel that it's both a gift and a curse or do you think that it's a better way to get noticed because you can test out material on a broader scale? It, it, you, you definitely get some, um, you know, some Facebook and Twitter comedians, you know, these people that are just doing it to get fave star likes or, you know, just likes on their Facebook profile. And it's hard to like, like separate, you know, who is actually doing it to, you know, get to the next level 
But, I mean, you, you know, a lot of agents and, and companies and, you know, network execs, like, from what I hear, I mean, I haven't personally had too many run-ins with them. But, that, like, one of their first questions is, you know, how many Twitter followers do you have? You know, really? how many, how many, yeah, how many people is, it, like, is your content going to reach? Holy shit. And, yeah, and and they're, and they're you know because it's a different game now, and we're living in a in like a, a comedy world where Louis C.K. and Patton Oswalt, Jim Gaffigan, Aziz Ansari, all these guys, they went out and they said, "Fuck you, Comedy Central! Don't even call me HBO Showtime. I'm gonna produce my own special, release it on my website, and I'm gonna make a million dollars off of it." And that's that's good. That's good and bad, right? I mean, it's great from from a monetary standpoint, but it's also bad because you're you're taking it away from big business. Yeah, but uh, it like I I swear, Louis C.K. changed the game because he did that live at the Beacon Theater. He charged five five dollars on his website. Yep. And I think he his budget was like two hundred or five hundred grand, and he ended up making like a million or two million on top of that. And he, uh, I think it was like uh, six months to a year after he had a, a gigantic HBO special. You know, it's like when you, you we kind of took the power back as comedians where we didn't have to, you know, like he, he had that, that, uh, that bargaining room where he could be like, listen, I don't need you. Right. You know, like you got to pay me more if you want this because I'm going to make you money and I want to make money. You know, you can't take 90% of the profits just because people are going to see it because now we have social media and I got, you know, 5 million Twitter followers and I got 100,000 people coming to my website every day. And that's kind of what I'm like, you know, on a much smaller scale because, you know, I'm not. Louis CK, but you know, I'm trying with this get involved comedy is I'm yep. trying to get uh, uh, like a, a network of comedians to mesh together and work together and get like a brand out there, like you know, kind of like starting my own funny or die or you know, like college humor where these people are you know, college humor is like putting out their own movies now, that's right, and, and funny or die, and, and like they're having these contests and and these videos are getting millions of hits and. You know, there's this comedian, Long Island guy uh, named Vic DiBattetto. Have you ever heard of him? Him, I haven't heard of. Oh uh, yeah, he he came out with this video called uh, "Milk and Bread," and it's okay. a thirty it's a thirty second video of him running around going, "Gotta get the milk, gotta get the bread," right before a snowstorm. Oh Jesus! And he made fifty. I, I think it was like fifty thousand dollars off that video just from YouTube alone because it got like eight million hits. Oh my God, that's insane. Yeah, and and now like he's a draw at comedy clubs, and he's getting all this you know like publicity, and people are coming to his shows, and you know it just turned it, it, it turned his career. You know he's always been a headliner, but now he's like a draw. You know he was getting weekends canceled because no one was coming to see him, and now he's selling out. You know five shows. That's crazy. Well, I'm I'm glad you you brought up get involved comedy because I think we we need just more of that i think collectively a lot of comics they go out on the road and it it's almost like throw throw shit at a wall and see what sticks and we're we're we've moved beyond that because there's so many more mediums now facebook twitter vine 
you know, Snapchat, you name it. And, and what comedians are doing is they're diversifying so much that they're really just spreading themselves so thin. But, but by you collectively bringing a brand together, it allows everything to be localized under one identity, which is great. Yes, and and the issue I'm currently having with it is because I grabbed a bunch of my friends, and we have some great comics on there. And like we have uh, Kevin Bartini; he's the warm up comic for the Daily Show and the Colbert Report. Wow! And, and we got like this uh, great headliner, Tom Daddario, that just headlined our uh, show at the Brokerage. And the show at the Brokerage that we put together did did so well. That governors, uh, you know, governors owns the brokerage and their other club, McGuire's. They reached out to us and asked us if we wanted to put a, together another show, and they booked Tom for a headlining weekend in July. So that show, they weren't using Tom, and now they're headlining Tom for a weekend. So like things are starting to come together on like the comedy show front. But I was grabbing most of these people because they had. Um, some sort of value. They either booked comedy shows or, you know, we were hoping that people were going to put together content, you know, blogs and podcasts and, and viral videos. And I really just haven't been having that. And I think people kind of just took this idea as like, oh, hey, Hugh and Mike Keegan are going to put together comedy shows. If I get involved, I'll be on those comedy shows. And I'm trying to do make it so much more than just producing the once a month comedy show right. on Long Island because no one's career is getting made from that. Right. But if someone comes out with a viral video that gets eight million hits, you know, all of a sudden the spillover traffic onto everybody else's profile is gonna is gonna help everybody. Absolutely, that's the that's the only way to be. I mean, again, we're we're so inundated with so many outlets that by you creating something so localized it's like hey you do a viral video you put it on there it comes from get involved comedy everybody sees it and everybody gravitates towards that one brand and then that one brand their job is to make sure that they can sell that brand but also sell themselves at the same time exactly and I, i'm trying to handle you know most of the social networking and the marketing for a lot of people, the promotion. And I, I'm kind of taking care of that aspect. And, and my partner, Mike Keegan, you know, we're the co-founders. He is kind of booking the comedy shows. And, and you know, I mean, you know, we both have say in what goes on. But, you know, I'm more a little tech savvy. And, um, you know, we, we kind of split up the division of labor. And it's been working real well. We're just hoping to, you know, that if we handle all the social networking and marketing, that all the comics that we have won't have to, and it'll in turn let them come up with the content. And you know, like, like it, it right now, it's kind of so, shitty because all, me handling all the marketing is, uh, you know, hindering me coming up with my own content, and these people not coming up with the content, and I'm like. Now, I'm not doing what I should be doing because I'm trying to promote everybody, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of at a stalemate with it. But I, I feel like if everyone bought into it, it would work, you know. Well, I think I think there's a couple of ideas. and I think, you know, w once we wrap up, I'll share some with you. Maybe it'll help get a make your process a little easier. Yeah, that would be great, man. I'm always looking for, uh, you know, people that could help me in like the business aspect of, of it because, you know, I get some people and we've actually turned down a bunch of people that have asked us to get involved because 
I'm asking them like, well, what do you do? Like, what do you do other than comedy? And they're like, well, you know, I, I, I book a show at a bar in the village and I do stand up comedy. I get on stage like four times a month and I'm like, yo, I got the stand up comedy. Don't worry right. about it. It's like, like, it's like, what else are you bringing to the table besides comedy? Because people forget. And, and I tell people this just from, you know, kind of running my own business on the side. It's, it's, people don't realize that it's a lot of moving parts there's the website the, you know there's the website side there's the social media side there's the email list side there's just getting out there and spreading the word there's promotional materials if you got to put them together there's so many moving parts that i can understand where you're coming from with regards to burnout because that's what happens it's like you you start putting all your your eggs in one basket that creatively by the time it's time for you to work on your own material, and, I, and you can you can agree with this, it, you get to the point where it's like, fuck, I don't feel like writing shit. I just want to go to bed. Exactly. That's exactly where I'm at, where I, like, I'm kind of burning myself out doing, you know, all the logistics of it that I'm not, you know, I've been, uh, you probably have saw when you when you checked out my website that I barely been putting up blogs yep you, you know and it's like it's kind of hurting my writing process and you know between the stand-up shows and trying to get this business off the ground you know it's hurting my creative process but you know i was hoping everybody else would pick up the slack but you know where mike and i have been talking about trimming the fat you know absolutely and, and uh you know we're gonna try to um get some you know i, I think i just gotta pitch the idea and push it a little harder on the people because people like buy in, but then they're telling me like, Oh, I'm busy with my day job. It's like, well, are, do you want to be a comedian or right. do you want to fucking wash cars all day? That's exactly it. That's where, that's where reality has to, you got to kind of either take the, it's, it's the shit or get off the pot because what you're saying, it's like, dude, I'm, I'm offering you a, a gift wrap dream. You just got to do X and yeah. X might be 10% of the entire process, but that 10% is 10% less shit you got to do. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it, dude. You get it. I wish you were part of this. <laughs> well, you know, like I said, I, I you know, I'm going to try and share some stuff with you. It's all about, you know, paying it forward. So, hopefully yeah. what I, what I can pass on to you uh can work. Yeah, man. Um I wanted to to kind of go in 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 another direction. You you had mentioned and we had kind of talked a little bit about it on, on an email you sent. You wanted to talk about the um the I am not anonymous.org um very you know we we we've been doing a lot of shits and giggles a lot of laughs but but now you know we kind of get into into some more serious territory and your your involvement with that you know before i even have you get into it i just got to say you, you know dude you got my utmost respect because it's it's a ballsy thing yeah so thank um, you you know just just share a little bit about your work with i'm not anonymous.org uh well it was put together uh by my friend tom and uh, his girlfriend Kate and um, Tom. Tom is an addict, and Kate is the photographer, and she's the one who launched the website and everything. And uh, you know, I was kind of sold on the idea because you know I, I willingly admit that I'm in recovery. Uh, you know, I've had addiction issues since like 2008 uh, when I got I got my jaw broken in a bar fight. Wow. Yeah, I got, you know, it was over a girl, obviously. And, uh, <laughs> Always is. Yeah. So <clears throat> I got hooked on painkillers, and the uh, 
you know, you, you, I did the normal opiate aggression uh, progression from Vicodin all the way to shooting heroin. Damn. You know, yeah. So it, it got out of control, and it's an epidemic on Long Island. You know, yep. they're starting task forces, and you know, there's arrests every day, and you know, there's just people overdosing, and a lot of my friends are just fucking dying, man. And um, you know, I finally got it this time around. So um, eight months clean at this point. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, you know, I started. Uh, I met this guy Tom in uh, Narcotics Anonymous, and I, I heard about this project that he was doing, and it's basically to end the stigma of addiction. You know, like people people don't want to come out and say that they were an addict because all of a sudden you're going to get looked at like a piece of shit, which isn't the case because it takes more it takes more balls to admit that than to hide it. It's easy to hide anything. Yeah. And and that's part of recovery is is becoming honest with yourself and everybody around you. And uh, I I think you know, well, I, I know that their their mission is kind of listen, we're gonna have uh, a place where here are some people that are clean, they're getting their life together. You could have this too. Contact us and we could help you out. You know, it's because I think a lot of people just don't know what like they get wrapped up in the grips of addiction, right? Whether whether it's from shitty life circumstances, like you know my my addiction started from an injury, and I know tons of people that have had similar things. You know, like say you blow out your knee in a football game, all of a sudden you start taking Vicodin, and then the doctors cut you off. And now you're trying to score heroin on the streets, you know, like that, that's so many people's stories these days and all the dirty doctors that were out there that were just prescribing people 120 oxys, you know, uh, a month, like that's just too much. And, you know, and all the doctors went to jail and, you know, it's just, it's just an epidemic and, and, you know, I'm just trying to like, I put my name out there because I was thrown into recovery and everything was public. My right. DWI was on page seven of the New York Post. No way. Yeah. That's insane. And, yeah, it said Long Island Long Island comic arrested DWI. The Post even came up with uh, stupid headlines because I got caught with a taser. Oh, I, shit. I had a taser in my car, so it said uh, – and it looked like a cell phone. So they said comic's uh, cell phone had an illegal zing tone. Oh Jesus! So the post even gave me a hacky headline, and and you know everybody knew I had a problem. I was probably the last one to know that I had a problem. So it's like, why should I hide and be ashamed of this, and you know, try to be the anonymous part of Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous? It's like when I could get my name out there and kind of be like the face of recovery. Well, I think, you know, that's it's a, it's a crazy thing because with regards with regards to addiction, I think that you reach that point where some people they need, you know, the hard wake up call. I mean, you know, you you it took the hard wake up call for you, but the thing that gets me is you brought up the whole thing about doctors on the island. I remember I'd like to say about 3 months ago they were talking about they busted a guy on the island a doctor that he was just cranking out prescription meds to, you know, high school students and the work. So you know, it definitely is an ongoing problem, and it's something that nobody talks about because people talk about, and and this is crazy to say, they talk about 
uh, right, you know, designer drug use. Like everybody wants to talk about meth because of Breaking Bad, or everybody wants to talk about coke, or everybody is on the weed kick. But yeah. people don't realize that every everything else, you know, those are those are what I like to call the five o'clock news drugs. It's yeah. every it's everything else that's kind of underlying that gets people into you know into this habit so like in your case you know you came off an injury you went through that and then the cycle just escalated people never talk about that so you know that right there is is huge that you're willing to go that level because nobody nobody addresses that elephant in the room yeah and and you know what you get that like that uh well first of all meth is like not big in new york state you know like i've i've experimented with almost every type of drug in in my years and and they're saying when if meth hits new york the way crack did in the in the 80s it's it's gonna level the city yeah and um (laughs) you know that's that's what they're saying it's it's gonna it's gonna be crazy and what what's going on is right now we have the heroin epidemic and these people are, you know, it, it's starting with dirty doctors and, you know, people with harmless injuries. And, you know, it, it's it's it wasn't a big deal, you know, and, and you, you know what you get? You get a lot of people in nursing homes that are addicted to this stuff. Yep. And and I know personally, I was I was trying to score the painkillers and then all the doctors got arrested and they changed all the laws for pharmacies and all that was out there was heroin. And now I got a physical addiction. Like heroin is different from crack where your body needs it and you get sick. And then you get the fear of the sickness, which is even worse than the sickness itself. And you're just looking for anything. So if, you, if someone tells you, hey, try this, it's cheaper. And it, usually you're broke at this point. So it's like it's cheaper and you'll stop fucking shitting yourself. You know, <laughs> yes. you're going to try it. Right. Like it's, it, you know, so then you try it. And then when that's the only thing available, now you're hooked on that. And that's like, you know, the difference between like a lot of people will have a heroin addiction and they'll come out and say, uh, I'm addicted to painkillers. Right. You know, you know, and that's, that's what they, what they like, that's their way of like hiding. You know, and it, it's it's the same fucking thing is what I'm saying. Well, you you being part of this organization, are you do you also, um, you know, are you are you do you do sober companionship? Do you how do you approach that with regards now to you being um, not not exposed, but just a, a, a public advocate? Do you how do you how do you interact with those that are still anonymous? How well, do you approach it. You know, I, I still go to my meetings you know to like for instance today i spoke at um numc uh, national medical center's rehab um once in a while like i work with i actually work with a bunch of comics in recovery and we try to bring comedy shows to rehab facilities and uh sober houses and you know we try to you know, one one company's called uh, Recover the Laughter, and then another there's Recovery to Go, and you know we I try to do that as like a comic. You know, you're not really supposed to uh, like promote Narcotics Anonymous. Like they right. got all their own rules and stuff like that. And I think that's what the I am not anonymous is is really trying to do is they're trying to reach out to people where Narcotics Anonymous can't. Right. I mean that's that's one thing where 
people that are in recovery can can cite a person that that's used or is in recovery by whatever giveaways they may have, you know, physical or psychological, whatever tick they give away, you know, instantly like, listen, man, you know, like, I know, I know what it's like. Have you, do you run into that a lot, especially given, you know, your, your more keen observational sense, or is it something where you just, you approach it based on kind of the, the rule book laid out before you? Well, I mean, every situation's kind of different. Like, you know, like it depends what you're doing. Like if I'm a representative of Narcotics Anonymous, I got to follow their rules, you right. know, because you, you can't put them in jeopardy, uh, you know, whether it's their meeting or, you know, their them as a whole. You know, like I use the example like like Johnny Depp or, you know, any major celebrity, Barack Obama, whoever, can't just be like, I go to Alcoholics Anonymous because say they get into a car accident and kill somebody, it's going to make Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous look like it doesn't work. Ah, when, interesting. When really it it just didn't work for that person. Right. You know, so you're kind of endangering them as a whole. That's why I'm not really supposed to talk uh, that I'm in Narcotics Anonymous. You know, I I do it because... I don't really believe in that and, and who the fuck am I, you know, right. like, like if people are really basing their life and recovery on me, they're not doing it right. You know, <laughs> no. cause every, everybody's supposed to be, it's supposed to be very personal, you know, everybody recovers differently. And, um, you know, but as, as like, if I'm going, you know, if I'm talking to somebody and, you know, they, they're, going to have different resentments and different issues with the program or you know like sometimes people just haven't been hurt enough by the drug mm, right you they, know? Haven't, they haven't experienced it i mean you know what when you when you sent this to me it resonated my uh, you know my mom she was a, a career foster parent so when when you know before she passed she took care of a lot of kids and we get a lot of kids that you know came from parents that were hardcore um drug users so you know you see these kids and you're like man you know it's crazy you know you, these kids end up developmentally disabled etc cetera, etc cetera, and it and it becomes a crazy eye-opener so when you when you try to approach people they what you just said is is a hundred percent true people don't understand the severity of it because it hasn't it hasn't hammered them enough yet yes and that's exactly it is is they don't see the like, repercussions you know, it, and it's all a personal, they call it rock bottom, you know, hitting right. rock bottom and, and everybody's bottom is different. You know, mm -hmm. like I've had some overdoses and arrests and, you know, I've, I've had all, you know, hurt my family and my friends and, you know, drained bank accounts and went into debt. And it, it wasn't until that last overdose where I really hit that, that bottom, you know, right. like for some people, uh, you know, it's losing their kids mm -hmm. or going going to jail or, you know, like everybody's bottom is going to be different. I know some people in the rooms that are in there for smoking marijuana and wow. that's it. Just weed is their drug. You know, that's their drug of choice. And, and they've hit a bottom because of marijuana. And it, it's all personal. Like they, you know, you're not supposed to compare stories. You're just supposed to identify with the feelings behind them. And you're, you know, you can't really 
like I can't judge somebody like because they've never smoked crack or they've never shot heroin or they've never done you know done acid like you can't just start judging people based off of that because who knows like they could have taken a Xanax got into a car accident and killed somebody just because they didn't shoot dope for five years doesn't mean I was a better drug addict or I need it more you know like everybody has like that that's that moment where it's like damn I need to get clean and sometimes you know it just wasn't enough for them you know there's some people that overdose and come out of the hospital and use you know like and for them, they just weren't hurt enough or they didn't believe that they were going to die, you know, or, you know, some people go to jail for a month and then they come out and go cop, you know, like it's, it's, you know, maybe they needed to go to jail for fucking five years, you know, and like everybody has a different moment and, you know, you kind of, you kind of got to know that when talking to addicts because some people, you know, if you go to a detox, like I've done comedy in a detox and there are just people in there that are, you know, sometimes you just get homeless people trying to uh, find a warm place to go. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes you just get people uh, trying to dodge the cops. You get people just trying to uh, get healthy so they could go back out and use again. You know, there's different people are in there for different reasons and people are going to be in the rooms for different reasons. And, and you know, people are going to talk to you and and you got to you got to know that. You, you almost got to keep them at arm's length, like until you know they're serious about it. Right. I mean, that's that's one of those things where you're you're extending the olive branch. But sometimes that person may be the gateway to go back into a problem. Yeah. And that's a big one is like finding a girlfriend or, you know, hooking up with people like that are also in recovery, because a lot of times those people will just end up getting high together. Well, I wanted I wanted to also touch on this. I know you had mentioned, you know, people that were in there smoking or smoking weed. And I wanted to kind of talk about, you know, where do where do you stand with like people have like have romanticized weed? You know, like where do you sit with regards to that? I'm just curious, not only just because of what what you've shared with us, but just as a comic, do you feel that there's an over reliance on just that being the norm now, like that being the culture yeah, like I, I think people don't take weed that seriously, and I, uh, <clears throat> I was actually been trying to like write like a, a blog about it. Is that by people uh, making weed legal and like the medical marijuana and like you know you could buy it in Colorado now on the streets and and all that. You're kind of you're kind of going back on years and years of saying this is bad. Don't do this. Right. And like, you know, you're kind of confusing kids yep. and, and, you know, now like you just spent 20 years telling kids to beware of drugs, you know, but alcohol is okay when you're 21 yep. and, you know, now you're, uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to do this with weed and it's like, are you going to, are you going to do it with Coke next? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, like what's next, and- you know, like. You know what? 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 You know what are you going to legalize next? Like, is 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 morphine okay? You know, on the streets or heroin or meth? Like, you know, you can't just keep confusing people. But then people are like, you know, I hear people in recovery that are saying like, "Well, weed's going to be legal soon," 
It's like, yeah, but it still could screw up your life. That's right. People, you know, like alcohol is legal. Yep, alcohol is legal, and it's like that doesn't mean that you should get lit before you go to work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and people don't realize that jobs are still going to drug test. Yep. You know, so if you go smoke weed on the first of the month and you're a truck driver and you get drug tested on the last day of the month, you're going to get fired. That's it. <laughs> you know, like it, it's just because it's legal now doesn't mean you could abuse it or given your situation in life can even use it. You know, like that it, it's it's still a drug and it's a controlled substance. And, you know, you're going to have to use it responsibly. And, you know, I. I think, you know, just so many people talk about, you know, how safe it is and how no one's ever died off of it and, you know, all of that. And, you know, I take it for what it's worth. But then I've also seen the other side of it where, like, I've seen people that, you know, their lives were ruined because of it. I I knew a guy that hid, you know, hid his pot smoking from his wife and he would steal from the register at the movie theater that he worked at every year or every day or every week, whatever. And for years, the movie theater just let him hang himself, and he ended up stealing 15 grand and going to jail for grand larceny because he was stealing to get pot money because his wife checked the bank account. That's insane. So now that's a life ruined because of marijuana. You know, like, obviously, there are tons of people who can handle it, but there are still people who can't. You know, it's like anything. You know, normal people can go out and have one or two drinks, and that's it. You know, there are people who can't. There are people who can't handle gambling and and sex and overeating. And, they, you know, they have anonymous rooms for all of that, you know. And it's, there's different things, you know. Like, it's different strokes for different folks, I guess. No, I mean it's crazy because I, you know, I, I, I don't drink or any of that. I kind of, I kind of fall under the the straight edge moniker, and yeah. um, you know, be, be, I don't, I never ever tell, you know, pontificate. Oh, you shouldn't do, do whatever the fuck you want. You know, you want to get lit, you want to get blasted. That's great. Do whatever you got to do. Just yeah. you know, don't don't fuck up my vibe. You know, like don't don't be out with me and then get fucked up and then you get into a fight and I gotta you know make sure you don't get killed. You know because that's what ends up happening. So the it's it's interesting to just, you know, hear a different spin on it because everybody views things differently, but you're probably one of the first people in a while I've spoken to that looks at it from a more objective angle where it's like, listen, you know, all this shit down the road will catch up in some shape, way, or form. So either you're responsible or you're not. Some people just, it's like, you know, you, some people shouldn't have pets. It's yeah. like the same thing. Some people, some people shouldn't toke up or some people shouldn't you know take acid or whatever the case may be it's like some shit just isn't for everybody yeah some some people just can't handle it and and you know it's just like the same thing like there are people out there that get vicodin prescriptions because they got their teeth pulled and they won't take it because they don't like how it makes them feel right and and those people are fucking weird to me you know (laughs) like i it's different you know like i'll take 10 of those things for a toothache and just chill out, you know, like that, that was, that was my thing. And, uh, you know, like it's just, it's just with everything. Like, you know, I guess moderation is the key, but then there are just people who can't handle moderation. Yep. Some people over moderate. (laughs) It's well, uh, the other thing is, is exactly that it's, it's moderation dependent on the person. Like, 
you know, I can go to Buffalo Wild Wings and eat 20 chicken wings. That's my moderation. That doesn't mean that you should go and eat 20 of them too. Exactly. <laughs> my moderation isn't your moderation. Exactly. And, and that's exactly it. You know, there's, you know, some people can drink 10 cups of coffee a day. Other people, they'll have a heart attack. That's it. You know, and, and this is all legal stuff that's not frowned upon, you know, and I think we'd kind of cross that that barrier into more like alcohol where it's like socially acceptable. Right. You know, like if you tell people like, oh, yeah, I'm buzzed. I drank, you know, a couple beers or, you know, I smoked a joint before I came out. No one's going to look at you like you have six heads. But if someone walked in with on me and I had a needle in my arm, you know, people are going to start thinking things. Right. And that's that's the thing. I mean, I personally when I when I hear that, you know, and I see people talking about, you know, drinking and weed and all that being in the same category, I always say the same thing. It's like, yeah, people talk about cigarettes being illegal, but cigarettes don't alter your perception. Yeah. You know, people people when they talk about weed and about, yeah, you know, it doesn't kill anybody. Yeah, but it also it still alters what you are for for a limited amount of time. It's the, you know, when when I talk about MMA on air, we talk about, you know, the guys talking about that weed isn't a performance enhancer. I don't think it is, but I also, yeah, but I also don't think, Hey, you know, that you're not going to feel a punch to the face if you're high, because again, it's a, it's, it's a, it changes the perception. Yeah. It's not, it's not enhancing you as an athlete. Don't misunderstand. But if you smoke up, go to the gym, you're hitting the heavy bag and then you're sparring and somebody punches you in the face. It's not, you're not going to have the same reaction time versus when you're regular. Exactly. (laughs) Nobody gets that. And and a big thing that people don't get with weed is until it's legalized in all 50 states, it's an illegal drug. Yep. So, it, you know, if you're Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz and you're failing drug tests for weed, it's an illegal drug. Yep. <laughs> and, this, and this is a job that you work. And if they drug test you and you fail, you could get in trouble. That's it. You know, you know you're, you're breaking the law. <laughs> And, and un, you know, until it's legal all over, you can't do that. And then if the UFC or the NFL, like, they still want to have it against, you know, to drug test for it and say it's a, you can't use it, you can't use it because it's it. a private company that you work for. That's it. You're an employee, and that's that. That's the bottom line. But it's, it's funny because, like I said, just, just talking about it like this, nobody views it the same way. Everybody's like, yeah, man, but I don't understand. It's like, yeah, that's right, but... You, you know, you're not going to react the same. Yeah, it's not a performance enhancer. Absolutely not. Not a performance enhancer in the least. But that doesn't mean that you should smoke up, get punched in the face. What if you're not, what if you get beaten to a coma and forget to tap out? Yes. Because you yes. don't feel the pain as much. And then, you, and then you got brain damage. Oh, but, you know, it's not, it's okay then. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's like the, the cortisone shots in football. Yep. You know, like you say you hurt your leg worse, you know, like you're not supposed to use that stuff. And you're not supposed, you know, you're not supposed to change your normal chemistry of your body because if something goes wrong yep. like you know what now that's correct you're 100 percent right you know, you know like I, I was actually just reading an article on kale sonnen that failed i, I guess he uh, failed a random drug test for some steroids or something well what ended up happening with him it was funny because this got blown this got blown up what happened was they cut off uh trt exemptions for all these guys so all these guys that may or may not have juiced that were getting exemptions because they had low testosterone. They, um, they had to stop using testosterone replacement therapy. So 
Chael, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm using, I'm, I, I was using TRT. They told me I can't use TRT no more. So the doctor said I got to use X and Y in order to level out. And whatever, the doctor, the doctor, he may have the medical proof and that's great, but he fucked up because he didn't tell them, hey, I'm on this. So it, it didn't do him any favors. A lot of these guys that, that have low testosterone, I think he was saying that he has like one testicle. So that's part of why he has low test. Whether that's true or not, whatever, nobody's going to tell him to whip his bag out. But the fact is, you know, he, he may or may not have a legitimate reason, but you didn't go, like you were saying before, through the proper channels and now you're fucked. Yeah, exactly. You know, you got when you're when you're doing stuff like that, you know, like there's there's people that I've seen that are like, oh, I dislocated my shoulder. So I took some Vicodin. It's like, well, did you get a prescription for that? No. No. (laughs) You know, it's like, well, you're still breaking the law and taking illegal drugs. I know that's what a doctor would have given you, but he didn't give it to you. You know, you got to go through the proper channels and uh you know, what was funny is, you know, since we're talking about all the recovery stuff is I was actually having a conversation with somebody uh, because Alcoholics Anonymous and, and N.A., they don't have any literature based on steroids. Oh, so it, it's like a big gray area that that are are steroids a relapse or are you still clean and sober if you take steroids? And and uh, my argument is. Have you ever tried to take steroids away from someone? Right. You know, watch how mad they get. Well, besides and, the fact that if you're a guy, you know, that administers drugs via syringe and you're using steroids and administering them via syringe, what's stopping that person from separating one into the other? Exactly. Just because you got a, bo- a bottle of ketchup doesn't mean you have to always fill it with ketchup. Yes. <laughs> and, and and you know like i i just think it was funny because like i compared it you know take get a crackhead take away his crack watch what happens yep. get get a roid user and try to take away his steroids and you're gonna get a very similar reaction oh yeah the 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 weaning off of steroids because you know I, i've known a fair share of guys that juiced it's it's exactly that damn dude i feel smaller it's like the guy you're like 300 pounds you know and the guy looks the same but he's Man, I feel I feel small. It's like uh, okay, yeah, you know, it, you're all right. It, it, it's a mood and mind altering drug. Absolutely. Yep. But um, you know, I, I really, I really want to get into. That. I really wanted to get into that, and I'm glad you know you 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 shared it with us because yeah, it was it's it's such a uh ref- such a, a refreshing take on it that it it needed to be shared. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I talk about it in my act, you know, just, and I like, you know, being in recovery because I like when people reach out to me and, and, you know, like are saying like, I need help because I'll, I'll try to help you, but you know, I'm only going to go so far because you got to know that people are serious, you know, like, and and it's hard to like, you know, it, it's a stupid analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's like uh, getting, you know, too fond of a Game of Thrones character. No, it's true. I mean, you know, <laughs> you nobody, know? nobody prepares for that. Yeah, and, and it's like, say I put all, you know, I spend night and day trying to get this person clean, and they're just not getting it. I'm going to get pissed off at myself. I'm, you know, I could end up just wasting my time because you haven't experienced enough pain to get through it. So, like... I'll usually give my phone number out or I'll tell you where a good meeting is and 
but I'm not going to pick you up and drag you there. Nope. You know, you got to you got to want it. Uh, I, I I agree. You know, I I like the approach. I like the the unfiltered commentary that, you know, like I said, you could you could share with us. Hopefully, you know, if there's there's anybody out there that's dealing with any of that, you can, you know, serve as as some inspiration as well. Yeah, they could absolutely hit me up. I'll have no problems trying to, you know, especially since this I'm not anonymous thing. I've been getting hit up randomly. They've been emailing me or, you know, contacting me through my website and and they've been uh, you know, reaching out and saying like, "Hey man, I really appreciate what you did. Your your words touched me or, you know, I need help. What can I do?" And you know, I've been trying to find different avenues for those people to to get help. No, I think I think it's a, it's a like I said, you're doing the right thing. And again, it goes back to paying it forward, man. So again, you have my, my utmost respect for that, dude. Absolutely. And that was a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to, to, to bring it home, um, you got a couple of gigs coming up. Uh, you got a Get Involved show uh, the 19th. And then yes. you're going to be involved with, with Boy, I Got Your Comedy in Jersey. So um, get, let people know a little bit about the, uh, the 619 event and the, uh, the 626 event. Yeah, um, the 619 event that's uh, at this, it's going to be on Long Island in uh, St. James. It's going to be our, well, we had another venue that apparently is closing down. So it's going to be officially the second Get Involved produced show. Uh, We actually have that guy that I mentioned, uh, Kevin Bartini. Uh, You know, he's the warm-up comic for The Daily Show and The Colbert Report. I've never personally seen him live. I've seen his YouTube stuff, but from what I've heard, he's he's electric. So that's going to be a good show. Uh, me and my boy Mike Keegan are on it, and uh, we got a couple. Of, we got Long Island, one of Long Island's favorite, Anthony D. Domenico. He's going to be on it. Um, he's a regular at all the governors clubs, and um, you know it should be fun. It's this Asian. It's like this sushi fusion place. You know, there's going to be some drink specials and. Uh, you know, it's it's a really cool place. Our friend uh, is the manager there, and he contacted us about running the show. Um, as for the six twenty six, that's going to be in Jersey at uh, the Southern Comfort Cafe. Uh, it's with this uh, this lady Yolanda Mack. She has Ms. Mack Marketing, and she is phenomenal. I did a, a, a comedy contest with them uh, last month. And I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I ended up losing the contest, but she brought me back this month for uh, you know a paid spot where I'm going to do a lot more time, and I'm not involved with the contest. But uh, last month, she she ended up getting signed by Wu Tang Management. Wow. Yeah. So uh, Jimmy Mack of Wu Tang Management was there, and he ended up signing her as their like publicist. That's so, awesome. Yeah, so Wu Tang was in the house. They had uh, the guitarist from Kenny Loggins was there. He was uh, one of the judges for the contest. So I, I was pissed because there was four judges, and uh, the the guitarist from Kenny Loggins was the only white judge, and he gave me the, he gave me the thumbs down, and I was wow. like, the only, I was the only white guy in the bill. I was like, come on, man, that's crazy. Yeah, but Wu Tang loved me. That's awesome, man. Little a little. Yeah. Uh, uh, a little reverse racism <laughs> yeah. goes so a long I, way. Yeah, so it was a fun show. I, I was joking around. I said I was like the milk and the coffee, and uh, you know we 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 had some fun. And she ended up, you know, she wanted me to come down and do some more time. So that should be a fun show. Awesome. I'll make sure to, um, you know, I got the the live show coming up this week, so I'll make sure to mention it on air. 
uh, this week. Yeah, it'd be great, man. Thank you. Yeah, I'll make sure to give you a plug for that. So um, let's bring it home for people that want to follow Hugh on Twitter. It's at the logic L O I G L O G I C. Sorry about that. And um, of course, you can go to his site, Hugh Daniel Murray IV dot com. And of course, you can also go to Get Involved Comedy. GetInvolvedComedy.wordpress.com, which, by the way, we got to talk about that <laughs> afterwards. And yeah. Um, yeah, make sure to keep up with Hugh. We'll make uh, this interview is going to be exclusive to MTR app owners uh, initially, and then we'll be releasing it to the public. But make sure to hit up Hugh on Facebook or Twitter. Um, again, it was a it was a pleasure, man. Hugh, thank you for taking us behind the mic. Thank you so much for having me, Rich. I appreciate it, man. All right. You've just heard My Take Radio Behind the Mic with Hugh Murray. To find out more about Hugh, to check out his blog, and to see if he's performing in your area, make sure to head to HughDanielMurrayIV.com. That's H-U-G-H, Daniel Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, I-V.com. We're also going to include links for his upcoming shows in the interview notes. If you'd like to learn more about Get Involved Comedy, you can go to getinvolvedcomedy.wordpress.com. You can also look for them on Facebook as well. Last but not least, very important, if you are an individual, you don't have to be a stand-up comedian that's dealing with uh, substance abuse problems, drugs, alcohol, uh, you can check out iamnotanonymous.org forward slash Hugh, and maybe you can get some assistance in that regard as well. If you'd like to listen to live episodes of My Take Radio, we air every Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific by heading over to mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. You can also find us on Twitter at My Take Radio and also become a fan on Facebook or add us to your circle on Google+. This interview, of course, will be exclusive to My Take Radio app owners first. So if you want the official My Take Radio app, you can find it for Android devices on the Amazon Marketplace iOS devices on iTunes, and of course for Windows devices in the Windows Marketplace. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio Behind the Mic or My Take Radio Beyond the Mic, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. All right, guys, thanks for listening. See you next time.